0: And thank you so much for that encouragement. And I just want everybody to know that I did not say that old people are 70. All right, just want to make sure that that is um, recorded and going to be going that. out my online. Apologies. Uh, Derek <laughs> at eastbrainerdchurch.org if anybody, would like to, if anybody would like to send an email. Um, especially I have to say that my parents are with me this morning and uh, they, um, they're not old, they are experienced. They're experienced, and uh, so that I uh, just want to make sure we get that out. Uh, but a great, I mean, what a great story, and again, great for our uh, children to be able to participate uh, in the offering. We want to raise worshipers here. Uh, We want to raise worshipers, not worriers. We've said that a lot in the past. And and it starts with these kiddos. And and they're they're learning what it means to follow Jesus. And they are listening to moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And we hope that here as a church family, we are coming beside our moms and dads helping when it comes to raising these kiddos and, and, and showing them the fruits of generosity and giving them opportunities to display that generosity and then to be able to hear about ways in which those funds are used. That is... Um, Man, that's fantastic. Hey, welcome everybody. We are so glad that you are with us. Uh, We are, uh, believe it or not, winding down June. Summer is quickly, quickly going. Uh, So we are so thankful you're here. If you're traveling because of vacations, uh, we're thankful that you have stopped in to be with us. If you are back from a vacation, uh, welcome back. Uh, We're glad that you went off and, and had a good time. Wish you would have invited more of us to go along with you, but that's all right. Uh, maybe you'll be more thoughtful and generous and godlike next year, and we'll just, we'll just wait, for those, we'll wait for those invitations. Um, how many of you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but there used to be a book series, and this book series was all about being able to choose your own adventure. Uh, the way this works, you would read a particular story, and then you would get to a certain scenario, and it would say, all right, now you get to choose what happens next. And, you know, depending on what you chose, it would send you to page 76 or it might send you to page 95. I remember reading these types of books and trying to help Captain Kirk manage everything on the Enterprise. And it would come to a scenario where I would have to choose whether or not to go into this nebula and be able to guide the enterprise safely through or, or to turn back and to go in a different direction. And, and it would tell me to turn to page 85 if I wanted to go into the nebula or turn to page 102 if I wanted to turn back. And I'm like, turn back, Captain Kirk goes into the nebula. And I turn to the page and it says the enterprise is destroyed. I'm like great. My future as a leader right here as a small child is being is being determined. But maybe you remember these types of books where you are you are in control and you get to decide the fate of whatever the character was or whoever the hero was of the story. It was so popular that at its peak 250 million copies of these types of books were in were in circulation. But there's a reason why it's a children's series. There's a reason why it's not meant for adults because as adults we begin to understand that we're not always in control and we do not always choose our own adventure. The concept is very appealing. The idea that we can determine our own destiny and our choices dictate all of our future that sounds really good and yet the longer we live the more that we understand. That we cannot avoid adversity, we cannot stay away from disappointment, no matter how hard we try, no matter the best laid plans of mice and men, it seems that things continue to go awry. And as kids, we might believe that everything is right here in my hands, and whatever decision that I make, then that's the direction that I'm going to be able to go in, and I am the captain of my soul. But as adults, we learn that it's just not how life works. Life is not necessarily a choose-your-own-adventure book. The way that you had everything written out, the way that you thought perhaps life would go, you can, you can look and say right now, that's perhaps not what has happened. All of us start off with certain dreams. We have certain plans, but the reality ends up waking us up and we don't always like the morning that dawns. And that's kind of what we see going on in the life of a character that we're going to look at this morning. All during our summer, we are, we're looking at some characters that are discussed in Hebrews chapter 11 and also there in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're looking at these not just so that we can get more information, not just so that we can know more about these men and women of faith, but so that you and I can be men and women of action. It's the so what. All right, great. So we've come and we've talked about Abraham and and Sarah, and we've been talking about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So what? If talking about this and if studying their lives has not challenged us to step out on faith ourselves, you are not here just to accumulate biblical knowledge, That you can somehow then spit back out at a party or in that great day of testing, wherever that day might come. You are here so that you can be encouraged towards love and good deeds. You are here so that you can be motivated in your own faith. You are here so that you can learn, hopefully, you can learn from others, listening to their stories, how perhaps to be even closer in your relationship with God. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at another character today, and and we're going to see kind of how their life just ends up getting all out of control, even though it was not necessarily due to their own personal decisions. You can open up your Bibles, if you'd like, to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. It's where the story of Joseph begins. And his story takes up a great deal of real estate there in the Old Testament. He was the son of Jacob, also known as Israel. He was the grandson of Isaac. He was the great-grandson of Abraham. And his story begins as he is a teenager, and he's growing up in what is just a very dysfunctional home. And I think that's probably an understatement, because here's what we end up finding out about him. He's his father's favorite son. He's got 10 older brothers, and his father, Jacob, loves Joseph the most. And so Joseph goes and gives him this gift, this coat of many colors, perhaps, as you've heard it called before. But it's not just the coat. It's not just the fact that he has this gift. By giving him this coat, he's saying to the older brothers, yeah, this is my favorite son. This is the one that I love most. This is the one that's going to inherit my estate. And because he's wearing this ornate piece of clothing, he's not going to be out working in the fields like the rest of you guys. And so that's why we read in Genesis 37 and verse 4 that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them now some of you guys know what it means to quickly to quickly not be able to choose your own adventure because you did not get to choose your own family And instead of a house filled with love, it was a house filled with hate. Like Joseph, maybe you grew up in a home where where no one seemed capable of speaking a a kind word to to anybody. I can remember one day, we're driving, Tanya and I are in the car, we've got two kiddos in the back, and they were pretty young at this time, and, and they were just arguing back and forth with each other. Now, I grew up as an only child, so I wasn't used to having to share the back seat. I wasn't used to these things that, that many of you had to grow up with. And I remember looking at Tanya in the heat of the battle, and I said, was this what it was like when, when you and your brother were growing up? And she said, no, my brother made me sit in the floorboard. <laughs> I'm like, really? That, that's what That's what happens? You know, that's what happens when you have these, these siblings and all this stuff that goes on. I had a dog named Fuzzy. That was it. I it was all I had to worry about. If there was this fighting that was going on, I remember telling them, and maybe they remember, I'm like, look guys, this is the only brother and sister as far as I know that you're ever going to have. You guys got to learn to get along. You got to learn to love each other. And right about that time, it was like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You've been there before, right? You know what it's like. But maybe the laughter that you exhibit now, maybe there's been times where it's been anything but funny. The criticism, the negativity, the harsh tones, you know what it means to grow up in a dysfunctional family. Maybe they didn't have that word when you were growing up. Maybe, maybe you didn't know your family was dysfunctional. Maybe you thought your family was normal and and then you found out that it wasn't. And maybe you thought that everybody's family was like yours. And then you found out that it wasn't. And there were choices that had to be made. Joseph, man, talk about dysfunction. He's got three stepmoms living under one roof. It sounds like a bad reality TV show. And that's where he's growing up. And homes like this just have a way of, of crushing dreams. And here's what I want to tell you right from the very beginning this morning. Your history does not have to be your future. Your history does not have to be your future. You know, your family, sure, there's been some difficult and ugly chapters. But the generational garbage that you've had to deal with can stop here and now. You do not have to pass on to your kids what your ancestors gave you. You can say, you know what, it stops with me. And it stops here and it stops now. Max Licato has a book called You'll Get Through This. And in it, he writes, let God do his work. The process may take a long time. It may take a lifetime. Family pain is the deepest pain because it was inflicted so early and because it involves people who should have been trustworthy. You were too young to process the mistreatments. You didn't know how to defend yourself. Besides, the perpetrators of your pain were so large, your your dad, mom, uncle, big brother, they all towered over you, usually in size and always in rank. When they judged you falsely, you believed them. All this time, you've been operating on faulty data. Decades later, these voices of defeat still echo in your subconscious. But they don't have to. Romans 12 and verse 2, he quotes, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let him set you on the path to reconciliation. You know, your family doesn't have to dictate your faith. I have no doubt that I would not be preaching today, nor enjoy the love of Tanya, Emily, and Micah, if not for my father's decision years ago to choose a different path other than members of his family. He chose to live his life and structure his priorities and model an example in a way that was God honoring. And you say, well, why? Why make that kind of decision or choice? Well, it's because after he and Mom were married, they, were, they found themselves surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Individuals that you in this room have never heard of. Names like Ken and Alice and Ronnie and Wynette and Jack and Rose, Brother and Sister Jackson, Hub and Myrtle. These individuals and others, through their words and actions, showed my father that your family doesn't have to dictate your faith. And because of their influence, my dad chose to walk away from apathy and, and anger and pessimism and addiction. And I and my wife and my children stand as legacies of his decision. You can say, it stops with me. And then the bes- decision becomes mine. What will I choose when it comes to leading my family? What example will I leave? What choices will I make for Emily and Micah? Now Joseph doesn't make things easier around the family table. And many of you who have younger brothers and sisters know exactly how this is. It seems like that younger brother, that younger sister is always trying to do something that will that will make things worse, something that will, that will cause everybody to become upset. And here's what happens with Joseph. He has a dream as a teenager of all of his brothers bowing down to him. And if you're taking notes this morning and you're a younger sibling, you might want to write this down. Should you have a dream and all of your siblings are bowing down to you, keep said dream to yourself. <laughs> all right, just that's just free this morning. That's just free to you. All right, keep that to yourself. You don't need to be sharing that aloud around the family table over a bowl of Cheerios. But Joseph has this dream and he's like, guess what guys? It was amazing. Had this dream last night and all of y'all were like, Joseph is worthy, we are not, you know. And it was just on and on. He's like, this was great. And his brothers grow to hate him even more. And then one day Jacob the father sends Joseph out into the fields where the brothers are working and, and they see him coming. They're, they're sweating, they're tired, they're hungry and here he comes rolling up in, in dad's precious jacket. And here's what it says. Hey, here comes the dreamer. Why don't we kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Man, what a great family. That, that's awesome. Hey, look, there's Joseph. Great, let's throw him in a ditch. No, let's throw him in a well. And then, you know, one of the older brothers, Judah, finally some wisdom. He was like, guys, we don't need to kill him. We need to sell him. That's what we can do. Let's make some money off this guy. And so that's what they go out and do. They sell him into slavery. Now at the age of 17, he's taken to a foreign land. He goes to Egypt and he's sold there as a slave to one of Pharaoh's officials, a man by the name of Potiphar. And he was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards. And and so there is Joseph in the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar sees something in Joseph. Apparently Joseph has some rare leadership gifts. He has some administration and management capabilities. And it doesn't take long for Potiphar to put Joseph in charge of everything. So much so that scripture says that Well, Potiphar doesn't even concern himself with his household because he knows that Joseph has everything taken care of. And so he's working his way up as much as a slave can. And then the story takes um, kind of a desperate housewife's turn. And here's what we read. Potiphar's wife, who I'm sure was probably very, very beautiful, a very beautiful Egyptian woman, Maybe in their time, she was the trophy wife of sorts because of Potiphar's position in Pharaoh's cabinet. She just becomes infatuated with Joseph. And the, and the Bible says that Joseph looked a lot like Steve Kahn. He was well-built and handsome. <laughs> and, and so she just makes him her pursuit. And, and then it just gets more and more graphic. And she says to them, I want you to come and, and be with me. And, and that's kind of the PG translation. In Hebrew, it wouldn't even gotten a PG-13 rating. She was very crass. And here is how Joseph responds to her, Genesis 39, verse 9. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And the Bible says that even though day after day after day that she spoke to Joseph and encouraged him to come and be with her, he would not. So here's what we see out of Joseph. We look at his story. It's just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. He starts out with dreams and now he's a slave. But in the midst of that disappointment, he remains faithful. And here's what you and I need to be careful to guard against. Because what happens to many of us when disappointment in life comes, we have a way of allowing that disappointment to justify disobedience. Have you ever noticed how that works? We get disappointed with God because we don't think that God's holding up his end of the deal. And then we kind of look around and we see our circumstances and we see where we are and we're like, okay, since God isn't taking care of business here, I'm going to go and do what I want to there. And disappointment just justifies the disobedience that we engage in. And it's especially true as in the context of Joseph's story with sexual sin. That's where the temptation is. And I know that we've got a lot of individuals in our congregation who are single and, and you thought that by now you would have found that special person and, and you thought that God would have connected you somehow with that right one and you've, you've tried to follow God's standard and you said, look, I'm committed to doing God things in God ways, but, but let's just be honest. The longer that it takes, the more tempting it is for you to lower your standards The more disappointed you become, the more easily you find yourself justifying disobedience. And I read about a survey of Christian singles and they were asked, what's the number one temptation that you struggle with? And 90%, get this, 90% of them said sexual sin. The other 10%, they struggle with lying. And I think that there's this tendency just to go, you know what, Um, God, uh, things aren't working out the way that I want to. You're not active in this arena in my life. And that means that it's okay for me just to take matters into my own hands. Just do what I want to do. Wherever it is, I want to do it. It's not just true for those who are single, but also for those who are married. The only thing worse than being disappointed and single is being disappointed and married, right? And it happens in marriage. You know, a wife just just doesn't remember the last time that, that she felt loved by her husband, listened to, and honored. And so, well, somehow she feels that it's okay to flirt at the office or reconnect with an old boyfriend online. Or the husband, well, he's married to his wife, but feels as if she makes intimacy, intimacy sounds like a chore that's somewhere between doing the dishes and folding the laundry. And so he justifies logging onto websites or talking to that pretty person at the gym and so we in our moments of disappointment have a tendency just to justify disobedience and look Joseph's story is not going the way that he wants it to and maybe you think about your life and you're like this is not the plot this is not what I imagined this is not how I saw things unfolding and yet you see here in the midst of his disappointment there is still a faithfulness that he has to God and you would think that after he shows himself faithful and demonstrates godly character that his life would get easy, right? Wrong. One day, Potiphar's wife takes things to another level. And again, she approaches him. Come to bed with me. This time she grabs him by the coat. She, she pulls and he slips out of it. And he runs away. She's left there with his garment and she cries, rape. Security comes in. She has the coat and Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison where he's going to stay for the next 10 years. And when I say that it's a prison, it's it's a dungeon is what it is. It's a hole where he's chained up initially. And and this this is not the result of any choice that he has made. Joseph has done nothing to deserve this. Last week we saw how Abraham's and Sarah's choice with Hagar brought about a lot of heartbreak and disappointment. But that's not the case here. That's not what's going on. Joseph's done nothing. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his disobedience. It wasn't his rebellion. It wasn't his unfaithfulness. But he is suffering the consequences because of the choices that other people have made. It wasn't his fault. It was just life. He was the victim. And I know that there are those of you who are in this room today. And your story is where it is. Not because of your choice, but because of the choice of others. And because of what they said, because of what they did, it has changed your life forever. What began as a dream, you feel as if you've now been forced into servitude to a memory, servitude to an act, servitude to some past And you now live in prison. You now are in the dungeon. You are now chained to what has taken place. And every time you close your eyes, you see her face. You hear his voice. And the question that you're asking, the question that a lot of people ask when they read Joseph's story, is where's God? Where is God in the midst of such disappointment? Thirteen years for Joseph, maybe longer for you. Where is God in the midst? Some of you, as I mentioned, are in a chapter right now in your story, and it's just the question that keeps coming up over and over and over. Where is God when I'm in the dungeon and when my dreams turn to disappointments? Well, if you look at chapter 39, here's what you find. Chapter 39 and verse 2, it's when Joseph is a slave. And here's what we read very simply. The Lord was with Joseph. Will you read that with me? The Lord was with Joseph. And then if you look towards the end of the chapter, verse 23, this is when he's in prison. And it says exactly the same thing. The Lord was with him. You know, we've interpreted the idea of God with us to be synonymous with a carefree, pain-free existence. That if God is with us, if the Lord is with us then nothing bad is ever going to happen. No difficulties are going to overtake me. And yet it's not the teaching of Scripture. That's not life. That's Eden. Scripture says there is coming a time oh there is coming a time when God will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more angry brothers and sisters. There will be no more deception, no more deceit. There will be no more lying. You will no longer be enslaved to what happened in the past. You will no longer be imprisoned because of circumstance. Because all these things are going to be gone forever. That time is coming. But it isn't now. And until then we say, well, well, where's God? Same place he was with Joseph. He's with you. He's with me. God is with us. God is with us in our dysfunctional home. God is with us in our difficult marriage. God is with us in our dead-end job. God is with us in our diseased bodies. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. You see, it's a constant theme throughout Scripture, this idea that God is with you. It's the promise that he gives to deliverers, to prophets, and kings. It's his encouragement to individuals and nations. It's the very name that's given to his son and the reason for the presence of his spirit. You see, before time even began, God saw every trap and every pit and every temptation and every prison. He saw every destructive power of sin and vowed that not one single person of his creation would have to face the disappointments of this life alone. Friends, God's presence in our life does not eliminate disappointments. Oh, I wish it did. I wish I could tell you that just by you being here this morning that everything in your life going to change. I wish I could tell you that, hey, all you got to do is read this verse. All you got to do is sing this song. All you have to do is pray this prayer. And everything will change. But scripture does not promise that God's presence will eliminate the disappointments of our life. But what scripture does promise is that God's presence will empower you to endure those disappointments. It is that power that gives you strength To get out of bed again. It is that power that gives you the strength to forgive. It is that power that gives you the strength to say it stops with me. It is that power that gives you the strength to remind others that you and that they are never alone. Will you join me in prayer and and I want you to take the hand of the person that's, that's sitting there next to you if you don't mind. Father, we grasp hands this morning because we are all in this life together. And each and every person here knows what it means to be disappointed. To have plans, to have hopes, to have dreams. Things that we wanted to accomplish, places we wanted to be by this time in our life. And we all know what it means to just be discouraged. Because things just haven't worked the way that we wanted it to. And we have to be honest and admit that there are there are reasons for this that are our own making. And there have been choices that we have made that have placed us in the situations that we're in right now. But father there also have just been choices that others have made. We didn't choose our own adventure. It seems as if it's been chosen for us. The pages have been turned and nobody asked us if we wanted to go there. We know what it means to be disappointed. And to wonder if you truly are here, if you're present, if you see what is going on. Father, we long for the day when there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sorrow, no more death, there'll be no more heartache, there'll be no more hurting, no more pain. There'll be no more crying out in the night. Father, we, we, we want that here and now. We want to be able to experience this afternoon. We want to be able to have it this very moment. But we know that's not for this world yet. That this world is is not getting better. This world is falling apart. And while we're in the midst of it, we rejoice in your presence this morning because you have promised to be with us. You have promised that when we go through the rivers of difficulty that we will not drown. That when we walk through the fire of oppression that we will not be burned up or consumed. And so we praise you today for that. And for helping to remind us that we can endure, that we can continue on, and that we can truly overcome. Father, I pray that you would allow each person here As they feel the hand that is holding them, will you allow them to know that that is is your hand as well? Allow them to feel your presence in the fingers that wrap around theirs. Allow them to feel right now that they are not alone, that you have not abandoned them, and that you see everything that's taken place. May we all know that you are with us. In the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, we pray. Amen. So guys, we don't choose our own adventure. But we do get to choose how we respond to disappointment. Each day. Each day, you and I get to choose how to respond. And so let's choose faith over faithlessness. Hope over hopelessness optimism over pessimism and giving again over giving in let's choose standing strong over running away and refuse to let doubt dominate another day let's pray harder and let's sing louder let's choose joy over complaining and thankfulness over regret let's listen more to God's word and less to society's labels let's focus on what God has done for us and less on what others have done to us Let's blame less and forgive more. And by all means, church, let's dream big dreams of how God will use our life for his purpose. As we sing and encourage one another, maybe you in the midst of your disappointment just need to come before this family today so that we might pray specifically for you and for something that's going on in your life. Or if you would like to come this morning and give your life to Jesus Christ because of your belief that he is the Son of God, We'd love to rejoice as you are baptized into Christ, washing those sins away. It doesn't mean that your life will never have disappointment. It means, though, that you have chosen where to go when disappointments come to the hand of God. Let's stand and give Him praise.